Buona Pasqua. Welcome to Cinema Italiano, the podcast dedicated to the Italian experience as told by film. Today is a special Easter episode, and we'll be talking about Pier Paolo Pasolini's 1964 film, The Gospel According to St. Matthew, or Il Vangelo Secondo Matteo. Just as a quick news item, earlier this week, the Cannes Film Festival announced their 2019 lineup. There is one Italian film selected for this year, Marco Bellocchio's The Traitor, a drama about the life of Mafia figure Tommaso Buscetta. You might know Bellocchio, who's been an ongoing figure in Italian film since the 1960s, with works including Fists in the Pocket. I'm definitely curious to see it, and I don't know much about the rest of his filmography, but with a few dozen films, there's definitely a lot to explore. Now for the main event, The Gospel According to St. Matthew. I've been really excited to do this episode, not only because I love this film, but it'll be the first episode about the works of Pier Paolo Pasolini, one of my favorite directors. I explored his filmography a little backwards. I started first with Salo, or The 120 Days of Sodom, then to his previous three films, The Trilogy of Life, then back to his first features Acatone and Mama Roma. His last films and his earliest films, in some ways, feel very different, so I wasn't sure what to expect with The Gospel According to St. Matthew particularly given Pasolini's atheism and harsh criticism of the church. I was excited to see it featured back in spring 2018 on Filmstruck in their Tales of Christ bundle, alongside other religious films like Ben-Hur and The King of Kings. I remember that particular week, I plowed through a ton of other movies about Christ, including The Last Temptation of Christ and Jesus Christ Superstar, so it was interesting to explore the similarities and differences of how key events and figures are portrayed. So my first encounter with the Gospel according to St. Matthew was with two frameworks in mind, the Pasolini film and the religious film. I was tremendously surprised by how moving and spiritual I found this movie to be. Similar to the Flowers of St. Francis, it was impressive how fundamental religious figures and events were portrayed with such dignity, respect, and wonder. The film also feels very unique compared to other religious movies in how it addresses and depicts the resurrection. Many films stop at the Passion on Good Friday, the day Christ was crucified, but the Gospel according to St. Matthew continues past it to Easter and the people encountering the resurrected Christ. The film's opening titles are in the standard Pasolini style, white background and formal black text, with the credits cleanly centered. In the background, we can hear the Gloria music from the Misa Luba, an interpretation of the Latin Mass performed in the style of Congolese music. This is an immediate cue to how the Christ story will be adapted and told in a more universal way. Knowing Christ was in the Middle East and North Africa, while hearing musical stylings from Sub-Saharan Africa, as opposed to the more traditional, in quotes, classical European requiescence as religious music. The opening sequence portrays the Annunciation and the Nativity. The first shot is a close-up of a young woman, in shot-reverse shot with an older man. A few moments in, we see that the woman is pregnant, and we are witnessing the exchange and possibly conflict between Mary and Joseph when he realizes she is pregnant with someone else's child. This narrative technique of displacement occurs several times throughout the film, as well as in Pasolini's other works, such as the Trilogy of Life. We, the audience, are dropped in a specific setting and without dialogue have to orient ourselves with where we are and who and what we are witnessing. 
Of course, the story of Christ is a very well-known one, so audiences probably have an idea of what they're in for. But this style of introduction requires audiences to hold tight a moment until more is revealed. An effect this has is to humanize such key figures rather than deifying them or building them up to be inaccessible. We see Mary and Joseph as two anonymous people at first, and in a brief instant, get to know them and their situation before being told exactly who they are. There is an emotional storytelling undercurrent that is almost outpacing the textual story. The three wise men come to see them and the baby Jesus coming into town in the middle of the day, rather than at nighttime in an idyllic pastoral setting, as the scene of the nativity is often portrayed. As they approach the family, the bluesy spiritual, sometimes I feel like a motherless child, sung in English, plays. This song sets not only a specific mood and feeling, but even lyrically alludes to hopelessness, being displaced, being separated. This foretells not only the Holy Family's exile from their homeland when they flee to Egypt, but of course the pain and suffering Mary will experience to witness her son on the cross. Similar to the opening music, this choice is an anachronistic one, not logically fitting with the time and place, but fits in a greater emotional cohesion. An angel comes and warns the family to flee into Egypt, as King Herod has heard about the birth of Christ and will kill the child. The Holy Family escapes, and we see a disturbing sequence of Herod's soldiers attacking and killing women and children. This violence against defenseless victims is reminiscent of Salah and the oppressive authority committing horrible acts against their oppressed. The theme of institutions oppressing the people is one that will come up again in this film and throughout all of Pasolini's work. Time has passed, and it is now safe for the Holy Family to return to Israel. We see John the Baptist at the river, surrounded by followers, as he prophesies the arrival of Christ. Christ does come, now as an adult, to see John the Baptist, and as he kneels in the river before him to be baptized, God's voice can be heard, proclaiming Christ as his son. The camera pans out slowly in the first real, miraculous moment of the film as John the Baptist and those around them learn that Christ is the Son of God. The portrayal of Christ in this film is a very unique one, though in very Pasolini style. He can be cold, direct, though is fiercely intelligent, poised, and confident. He does not express any doubt or remorse, and is unabashedly political, unafraid to challenge authority or to call out hypocrisy. We get our first sense of this telling of Christ when he goes into the desert and is challenged by the devil to test him. Christ holds his gaze firmly against Satan and replies back calmly and clearly with no fear or hesitation in his voice. Next, Christ recruits the apostles and they band together. In a montage, we get quick cuts of him guiding them through the Holy Land, preaching and enacting miracles. Christ is shot from the perspective of an apostle, or of a spectator, looking at him head-on as he's preaching, or following behind him as he's walking, as he occasionally turns around to make eye contact. 
like an apostle or follower, we feel as though we're on this journey with him, trying to keep up and are immersed in the story. After traveling around the Holy Land, Christ tells the apostles they must return to Jerusalem, where he will suffer evils and be killed. They arrive at Jerusalem on Palm Sunday at the start of what will be Holy Week, as the Congolese-inspired Gloria plays underneath this Middle Eastern setting. The people excitedly gather around him, and Christ almost appears to float above the crowd as they make their way up the stairs to the temple. Once again, Christ's political side comes out, as he unhesitatingly knocks down tables, goods, and the marketplace set up within the temple. He challenges the priests for having allowed the temple to become a place of commerce and what he calls a den of thieves rather than a house of worship. After this exchange, the people, many of them impoverished, swarm the temple to pray. Christ's actions allow the masses to access the church, so the space is not limited to the elite or to the merchants. Yes, this scene is in the Bible and is portrayed in most other religious films, but coming from Pasolini, it particularly feels in line with his political views of eliminating classes and power structures to create equality and eliminate barriers of access. When going unchecked, authority figures exploit resources and public goods, broadening the gaps of wealth and access between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. Like in other Pasolini films, sympathy and perspective is with the others and lessers in society, the poor, the prostitutes, the oppressed, who are often more moral, honest, and generous than the elite. Christ's action to dissolve commerce from the church and give it back to the people can be read to symbolize equality triumphing over class structures. Seeing what a threat Christ poses to the status quo, the priests conspire to arrest him and have him killed. Similar to the earlier scenes of Christ preaching and doing miracles, shot from the spectator's point of view, we see the arrest and trials of Christ from the viewpoint of an everyday spectator. It's hard to even see what's taking place, with other people blocking the view, and Christ and the priests questioning him are further away in the frame. It's noteworthy, too, that of all the other perspectives this can be shot in, we are again with the Jewish people, not with Christ, not with the priests, and not with the Romans. Later on, following the Last Supper, Christ is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Apostle Peter is running away, encountering different people, asking if he knew Christ. The cinematography is fast-paced, cutting quickly between Peter's face, clearly anxious, and those questioning him. The camera looks to be running along with him, moving as fast as he is. He denies Christ three times, as was prophesied, and as he realizes what he's done, he pauses against a wall and sobs. The editing does not cut, staying with him and slowly panning out. This brief sequence captures the worry, fear, and anxiety of Peter as he's trying to get away, then lingers and dwells as he's filled with remorse. Following the trial with Pilate, Christ is released to the people to be crucified. The procession trods up a hill, but no diegetic sound from the scene is heard, but a powerful musical score swelling with tragedy and emotion. After his death, the music becomes more solemn and somber as his body is wrapped and taken to the tomb. Mary and others return to the tomb, 
which opens to reveal that his body is gone. The musical score kicks in with the Gloria from the very beginning, and the angel returns, telling Mary that Christ awaits in Galilee. The people run, rejoicing to find the resurrected Christ. He says, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye and teach all nations in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching all things I have commanded. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. As I mentioned earlier, The Gospel According to St. Matthew is Pasolini's third film and can be taken as an interesting midpoint of his career. Following the more neorealist dramas of Akatone and Mama Roma, there is the directness and concrete storytelling of a specific time and place, told in a fairly linear way. What precedes his more fluid films, such as Teorema and the Trilogy of Life in the coming years, are those moments of displacement and ambiguity of where we are, who we're following, as new characters and settings are introduced throughout the film. The emotional and symbolic storytelling, at times, outpaces what's in the text, as an indicator of things to come in even bigger ways later in Pasolini's career. It does fit in well with the rest of Pasolini's films, though it is unique in the cinema landscape of Italy during that time. The main genres in the 1960s included pink neorealism, which were lighter and more comedic than the hard-hitting neorealist dramas of the 1940s and 50s. Another rising genre was the Commedia all'Italiana, films with funny moments, but with serious underlying social and cultural themes. The Gospel According to St. Matthew doesn't fit into either of these, and feels more like French New Wave filmmaking, blending documentary-style camera work with quick editing, abrupt sound cuts, similar to that of Jean-Luc Godard. The themes prevalent in the film are also ones Pasolini explores throughout his filmography. From his first film, Accadone, up through his last, Salò, Pasolini addresses inequality and oppression, both on the institutional and cultural levels. All authority figures, from King Herod, to the elite priests, to Pontius Pilate, to the Romans, use violence and power to oppress their victims. Even the way they are composed in the frame, often in straight lines or clear processions, creates a visual wall and imposing figure that dominates the fractured, scattered individuals. Another motif is misogyny and the chastisement of women, from the pregnant Mary being initially rejected by her husband-to-be Joseph, to Magdalene criticized by Judas for washing Christ with ointment. In each of these, an outside force, whether the angel or Christ himself, is who rights the wrong and explicitly tells the accuser to correct their ways. The message, sadly, seems to be that men will not realize for themselves when they are wrong, and that a higher power, in this case literally divine intervention, is required. My first impressions when I saw the Gospel according to St. Matthew last year was that it was mostly cold throughout, though with a very powerful and spiritual ending. This time, I still found it often stoic, but found the political viewpoint and strong dialogue very compelling, watching it less as a religious film and more of a Pasolini film. And despite his atheist background, 
it does have moments of divinity and spirituality that are tremendously moving and powerful to experience. I would absolutely recommend this film, as well as The Flowers of St. Francis, which we covered last episode. Another film that takes the disconnected storytelling even further is Pasolini's Arabian Nights, which has even wilder visuals and an occasionally confounding narrative, but it also features characters facing severe hardships and overcoming them for a very satisfying, happy ending. It also features many visual motifs from the gospel, such as location photography and pageantry by the masses. Thank you for listening and wishing you and your family a happy Passover, Easter, or whatever you may be celebrating this season. You can follow Cinema Italiano on social media at Cinema Italiano Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you haven't yet, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe so you can get future episodes sent straight to you. Buona Pasqua, and until next time, ciao amici. This choice is an anastomic. This choice is an anachronism.